Welcome to episode 14. The parallels between today's America and 1930s Germany are striking. In The Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien describes the One Ring, a malevolent and active power which subverts and dominates anyone who wears it. I wonder if the recent pursuit of political power by the American Evangelical Church is akin to slipping on that ring. Hi, this is Brandon, and welcome to the Crucible of Thought podcast. I'm here to share things that interest me and things that I think the Lord has brought to my attention. And today's episode is titled, The One Ring of Political Power. I consider the article, America is now in fascism's legal phase, to be absolutely worth reading. It's written by a Yale philosophy professor and a descendant of the Holocaust survivors. And it explores current trends in the American right wing in comparison to the rise of fascism in other nations. And the parallels and the cautions are truly frightening. I'd never really studied fascism, so I thought I'd do a little research to find out if Dr. Stanley is overreaching in his comparisons and I quickly concluded that he's right. When I consider numerous articles about fascism and various descriptions of its primary tenets, there are striking parallels to what's going on among the political right wing in America, particularly the Trumpian party. I started with Wikipedia, and I recognize that it's hardly a primary source for anything, but it's a good overview most of the time. In the case of fascism, it's likely one of the better articles, given the nature of online disputes over wiki editing, And honestly, anything related to Nazis always gets a lot of careful attention, and misinformation is usually expunged very quickly. So in this case, I consider Wikipedia an acceptable first approximation of useful information about fascism. And here are the tenets identified by the Wikipedia article. Nationalism with or without expansionism. And the article says, the fascist view of a nation is of a single organic entity that binds people together by their ancestry and is a unifying force of people. Fascism seeks to solve economic, political, and social problems by achieving a millenarian national rebirth, exalting the nation or race above all else and promoting cults of unity, strength, and purity, end quote. And I'd say that all those factors are definitely there in the Trumpian party. Totalitarianism. And the article says, the fascist conception of the state is all-embracing, Outside of it, no human or spiritual values can exist, much less have value. Thus understood, fascism is totalitarian, and the fascist state, a synthesis and a unit inclusive of all values, interprets, develops, and potentiates the whole life of a people. And I'd say this appears to be true also. The Trumpian right wing is doing everything in its power to eliminate opposition, to create social indoctrination in Christian principles, to suppress alternate education, including banning books and crafting laws suppressing the teaching of history that doesn't support the nationalist view. The attempt to silence and discredit even right-leaning politicians who don't buy the Trumpian agenda is striking. Witness also the number of calls among evangelical leaders to take over the government for God or similar phrases. Trumpists certainly do not see their calls as totalitarian, and in fact argue that their attempt is to preserve democracy but the practical manifestations of their efforts seem to meet this definition of totalitarian. Economy. 
Well, this is perhaps the least definitive tenet of fascism, but a primary goal of previous fascist governments was autarky, A-U-T-A-R-K-Y, or economic self-sufficiency. Sites other than Wikipedia identify fascism as supporting corporatism and class collaboration, but making those serve the state's interests. Such talking points have been a primary Republican goal for years, and autarky principles were heavily promoted by the Trump administration. President Trump openly advocated for greater Trump trade protectionism and implemented numerous trade sanctions on foreign governments. Also, the American right has strongly opposed social welfare, much like previous fascist regimes. Another tenet is action, and Wikipedia says fascism emphasizes direct action, including supporting the legitimacy of political violence as a core part of its politics. And I'd say this is definitely true of the Trumpian party. Another tenet is age and gender roles. And the article says, Italian fascism pursued what it called the moral hygiene of youth, particularly regarding sexuality. And the German Nazi government strongly encouraged women to stay at home to bear children and keep house. Well, Aryan teaching opposed all abortion for Aryans, but not Jews. And the Nazis fought hard against non-traditional sexuality, sending about 10 to 15,000 homosexuals to the gas chambers. And recently, there have been literal calls by American fundamentalist preachers for executing homosexuals. Consider also the sharp rise in complementarianism and similar teachings in the Southern Baptist Convention and other evangelical churches and the vehemence of the right-wing fight against non-traditional sexuality and gender identity is clear. Another tenet is palingenesis and modernism. Palingenesis is the concept of regeneration or rebirth, and in this context it refers to the rebirth of society or a return to its roots. Modernism is a parallel move, uh, in this case to bring about a utopian forward progress in society. Fascism promotes the regeneration of the nation and perching it of decadence. Well, this is definitely one of the goals of the American right. After all, President Trump's primary slogan and the call of the Trumpian party is make America great again. Another tenet is fascist aesthetics. And Wikipedia says the relations of domination and enslavement take the form of a characteristic pageantry, the massing of groups of people, the turning of people into things, the multiplication or replication of things, and the grouping of people or things around an all-powerful hypnotic leader figure or force, and the fetishism of courage, the dissolution of alienation in ecstatic feelings of community, the repudiation of the intellect, the family of man. And I think that the trends in the Republican Trumpian party certainly follow this aesthetic. So beyond these tenets, I also consider the statement from Jason Stanley, a professor of philosophy at Yale University and the author of the book, how fascism works, who says that fascism, quote, is based on an ethnic division between us and them, an extreme ethno-nationalism. It's based on nostalgia for a mythic past, typically in which members of the chosen ethnic group had an empire, and it represents the present as loss of that great empire, that natural standpoint in which members of this ethnic group dominated their environment militarily, politically, and culturally, end quote. So Stanley ties fascism to racism, and this is interesting in light of many commentators and authors who are complaining that some segments of the American church and society in general are deeply racist. Former U.S. Secretary of State Madeleine Albright, who was an immigrant from Czechoslovakia in 1948, 
with personal experience with the Nazis. Wrote a book in 2018 titled Fascism, A Warning, which warns of rising fascism in America and around the world. And in particular, she points to Donald Trump as the first anti-democratic president in U.S. modern history, quote, Perhaps the most striking thing to me about Nazi Party history is its utter co-opting of the German Evangelical Church. From a New York Times article in 2002, quote, Attracted by the strategic value inherent in the Church's historic mission of conservative social discipline, the Nazis simply lied and made deals with the Churches while planning a slow and cautious policy of gradual encroachment to eliminate Christianity. Going into the 1930s, Germany was 96 or more percent Christian, and the German theologian Martin Luther had strong influences in German culture. From another article, quote, Historically, the German evangelical church viewed itself as one of the pillars of German culture and society, with a theologically grounded tradition of loyalty to the state. During the 1920s, a movement emerged within the German evangelical church called the Deutsch Christian, or German Christians. These German Christians embraced many of the nationalistic and racial aspects of Nazi ideology. And once the Nazis came to power, this group sought the creation of a national Reich Church and supported a Nazified version of Christianity. End quote. Similarly, the German Catholic Church signed agreements with Hitler promising support in exchange for state influence, and one of those was the 1933 Concordat. But it wasn't long before this honeymoon ended and the Nazis began suppressing freedom of religion. The Nazi party, which had signed numerous accords with both the Protestant and Catholic churches promising good cooperation, violated those accords and began forcing state control of religious affairs, creating the Deutsche Evangelische Church as the new state church. In particular, the Nazis began to intensely persecute the Roman Catholic Church, the Jews, and other sects such as the Jehovah's Witnesses. The Nazis were, in particular, quite interested in Martin Luther's later anti-Semitic views. They effectively forced the German Christian movement to adopt a number of rather anti-Christian principles, such as purging the Old Testament from the approved Bible because it glorified Hebrew culture. And the primary group of Christians who disagreed with these changes, which were called the Confessing Church, found itself under assault, and in 1935 about a quarter of its members were imprisoned. Others, including church leaders, were forced to proclaim loyalty to the Nazi state and to Hitler in order to survive. So I believe that all of this is worth careful consideration as Christians. As Harvard professor and philosopher George Santayana famously said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Given this history, and given the trends that I see developing in the United States, as many secularists and even non-evangelical Christians are beginning to staunchly oppose the evangelical church. I find it likely that we might find a similar pathway developing within the United States. Intense evangelical and generally Christian pressure for a theocracy, leading to the election of a deeply flawed but very popular hero figure who panders to the church and promises to lead our nation back to its Christian roots, using much militaristic and aggressive rhetoric against his opponents and the Church shows that it's willing to set aside many of its core principles to elect and then hold that leader in power. And that much clearly has already happened. But once power has been consolidated, what then? Well, in the case of Hitler, since he never truly followed the way of the Lord, but only used the evangelical and Catholic communities to seize power, unsurprisingly, he didn't do what they expected. And then? Well, it may have soon seemed to those living in Germany those days to 
be something like this from Daniel 7:25. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times in the dividing of time. And thus it could be with America. Now, I don't mean to be prophetic here, and nor do I mean to imply that former President Trump is the Antichrist. I actually don't believe that to be true of Trump any more than it was of Hitler. But there are often multiple levels of fulfillment in any prophetic scripture, and quite often an apparent fulfillment on earth only points the way towards a future complete fulfillment in the heavenly realm. However, I'm postulating that things may not be quite as simple as they appear to many evangelicals, who seem to be so interested in attaining and holding power that they're missing the danger signs that seem to be fairly apparent to everyone else. It's arguable that the German evangelical and Catholic churches were largely responsible for enabling the successful rise to power of Hitler and the Nazi party. In a sense, the German church facilitated its own destruction and led to a worldwide conflict that killed tens of millions and devastated the continent. And at the root of that enabling was the church's pursuit of political power. But much like the One Ring in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, that power can never be used for good. It inevitably corrupts everyone who tries to bear it. It is impossible for the systems of the world, the cosmos, the great beast of Daniel and of Revelations, to be wrestled into submission for the purposes of the Lord, because the cosmos itself is the creation of the cosmocrator, the Lord of the world, the prince of this age, or Satan. He's fooled men for many generations into submitting themselves to his designs in the vain hope of controlling those designs. But that hope is fruitless. Instead, our only hope is in the economy of the kingdom of heaven, which operates not by control, but by submission, by humility, by self-sacrifice. It's not human strength and willpower that will bring about the kingdom, but instead it's recognizing our own insufficiency and dependence on the Lord's strength. So we cannot win by wearing the one ring of power. That ring must be cast off, and it must be unmade forever, not in the fires of Mount Doom, but instead in the purifying fire of the Holy Spirit. So that's my thoughts for today. I invite you to come back and we'll talk again soon.